Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for your Boston Celtics. John, eight in a row. Hard to uh, hard to complain. I remember how devastated we all were two weeks ago with the Gordon Hayward injury, but now this team is doing a couple of things that you really didn't expect it to right out of the gate, including defense and rebounding. They rule. They rolling, baby. They rolling. Okay. Look, number one with a bullet, tops in the East, tops in the whole damn game right now. I mean, what more can be said? I mean, I don't even know how you'd even. There's nothing better than what's going on right now, other than the fact that Gordon Hayward's ankle is is still broken. I mean, there is nothing that could be better than what they're doing. They're getting contributions from the great players on their team. Horford and Kyrie are looking amazing, fitting in like a glove. Um, you know, we've got we've got veteran players who've stepped up. We've already got Marcus Morris making a contribution. Obviously, Aaron Baines, the kids, Tatum, Brown. I mean. <laughs> and then you've got the young players who were kind of finding their way in, in Rosier and Smart. I mean, it's all coming together. Everything's kind of hitting on all cylinders. And it really hasn't been this, like, really easy schedule. In one week, they beat San Antonio and then going on the road, they go to OKC against a damn fine Thunder team. I don't know what more they could do right now other than, I don't know, maybe uh, take on the Warriors. And they're going to get a chance to do that here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I don't either. And we could have yet another show talking about how much we love Jason Tatum. We could throw back to last season where we could talk about how Jalen Brown is finding his stroke in several games, uh, shooting above 40% from beyond the arc. Definitely not something a couple of our buddies on draft night, two draft night shows ago, would have thought would have happened so soon. But nice to see that, and not just from the corner, but he's hit some straight away as well. So that's excellent. Marcus Smart, a plus 32 in the game against Orlando. Certainly he's contributed. Terry Rozier is playoff Terry Rozier during the regular season. Certainly I still think he's an off guard and, and needs some time to develop in his ability to initiate the offense. Or you just let him roll what a rebounder he is. And really... I think this show should be dedicated to Al Horford, who made it all happen against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Really, three timely three-pointers, a mid-range jump shot. He's the one that kept him at bay 
He's the straw that stirs the drink, as you like to say, John. Honestly, it's funny how easy he slips into the background, but that's just how damn good he is. He has been otherworldly. He has been so amazing, not just in, you know, offensively, obviously he's scoring points, he's taking shots that he, he really wasn't taking or, or maybe forcing himself to take a year ago, but just the way that he's integrating Kyrie in this, working so well with Kyrie, allowing Kyrie to find that space, to be that safety valve, to allow Kyrie to draw that defense away from him and then get just wide open shots over and over and over again, largely through their pick and roll. <laughs> just, it, you'd think those guys have played together for eight seasons. It's, it's so nice. And you know, it allows, because of the winning, you know, all the winning they're doing all the time. Uh, we're not getting sick of it. But thankfully, Kyrie, uh, you know, his questions about any questions someone would have about Kyrie not scoring as much, not being that 30-point scorer that some thought he'd be, no one even is thinking about it because not only they're winning, but Al Horford is doing such a tremendous job taking that pressure off both in the game and then, you know, kind of in the in the score sheet as you're looking at it after the game. That what he is – he is allowing Kyrie to be a fully formed uh, evolution of himself, which is what Kyrie kind of talked about. Is you know he's he's trying to get that kind of next level stuff as as a player. This is why he made uh, the move. He wanted to be an intellectual play for an intellectual coach, an intellectual system. Uh, those are his words. And why not play with an intellectual player like Al Horford to do it? Yeah, Keith Smith, who lives down in Orlando and went to the game, everybody may know him mostly from Celtics blog if you're a diehard Celtics fan, but Keith was in the locker room after the game and he tweeted out how the team's chemistry has just come together. And one of the things they said was that we all are just a bunch of good guys who really care about winning. And I will say, the team certainly does not look like it has a number of egos. Even go to Kyrie, tough first half against OKC. And Bro, then, yeah. even though he killed it, especially in the fourth quarter, although not as much as Al Horford, but even though his second half was way better, did a great job, helped them secure the victory, come from behind from a very disappointing first half, almost doubled their points in the second half over the first half. Then you go to the Orlando game, and he really doesn't have a shot again, and yet they find a way to win, they do it with defense, and nobody sits around and ball hogs trying to get their fight their way back into it. He just lets everybody else find the offense. That right there is the mark of unselfish culture. I know that if Kyrie was, you know, maybe at a different time in his career in a different setting, or if he was a different player in a different setting, that's not how that would have played out. They would have continued to shoot and not make shots, and it would have been a debacle. This team finds offense from so many different places when it really needs it, and I understand it wasn't their best offensive output against Orlando, and vice versa. Orlando's offensive output was atrocious, but... The Celtics lock down on D, make sure they secure the rebounds, and go do the things that they need to do. And that game really wasn't close after pretty much late in the third quarter. They have really took over, and it was the bench unit that pulled away. That is something, John, that we never saw but clamored for last season. Hey, we've spotted a 20-point lead. How come the bench can't <laughs> hold on to it? And the irony... 
And the irony is, is the whole conversation heading into this season was how they were going to have a bench and how are they going to do that. And every season leading up until now, we'd said this a week and a half ago, what would be the irony of them coming out to a hot start for the first time in the Brad Stevens tenure with an injury five minutes into the season to the best player that they've ever acquired in the offseason as a free agent. How how crazy is this? It, it does it, it it's beyond reason <laughs> at this point. Uh I wanna before I jump back to the bench thing, I want to quickly just touch on something about Kyrie. You know, he the issue of him I keep because this is the narrative that keeps getting thrown up at us is like, you know, why would he want to leave? Why is he doing this? Why is this happening? And you said it. I mean, I thought I'm glad you really put it well. I think, you know, Kyrie in a different system is a different player. And I think that you've got to give Brad Stevens a lot of credit, but I think you got to give Kyrie also a lot of credit, right? Because it, it, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, the narrative of, oh, he wants to be the man. He's got to be in charge. He's got to be the guy who runs the show. You know, that that's kind of what everyone was saying. And I think it really missed the larger point and really missed the fact of who he was as a person and as a player. And so, understandably, people are going by the numbers and saying, well, this is what he is. But for the same reason Kevin Garnett was a different player in Boston than he was in Minnesota, or or Paul Pierce before KG or after KG, Ray Allen before he came to Boston. You know, this is this is Ray this is Kyrie's move to Boston is is the same sort of he was looking for that same sort of move and that same sort of um Giving back to his teammates and becoming more of a um, more to his more to his teammates as opposed to putting more on himself. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of nonsense that he spews that I quite frankly just don't understand and just just wish he would stop talking a lot of times. But you know, you have to kind of wonder if there's some, a kernel of truth in this because he's doing things. He's operating in a way that no. I don't, I can't think of another player who's operated like this at this section of his career. The way that some, he's given back and, and deflecting every which way, deflecting praise to his teammates, deflecting, you know, passes and, and giving opportunities to his teammates. He supposedly wants to be the man, but he's, you know, he's at every opportunity, almost every single opportunity since he's gotten here, he has taken that opportunity and tried to make his teammates and his team look better. Um, I'm not saying he's he's at, at that level of what uh, Isaiah Thomas was to bring his team up by putting everybody on his back, but it feels like what Kyrie's doing is as impressive, if not more so, in that he's raising the games of everyone else around him, and that's the ultimate compliment as a say, star player for the team. Is, is to make everyone else better. Yep. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said the same thing when Gordon Hayward went down, and it actually started that very night. Would this make the team better? I just wish he would be able to have come back at the end of this season. I would agree, yes, it makes the team better in the long haul, but it would have been nice for him to not miss a postseason. And based on his what he put on Facebook, it really doesn't sound like he – yes, he could just be setting the expectation of not coming coming back, and then if he does, at least he put that narrative to rest and everything else is like gravy and exciting. 
But I think there was something to that that did give it some 2017-2018 season finality. I don't know if you closed the book on it. I had a lot of hope, and even after he wrote it, I kind of poo-pooed it and said, yeah, yeah, until you're ahead of schedule, and then you'll come back. But eh, the more I digest it, the more I think maybe it, they're just not playing for the risk. Maybe maybe that's the discussion that's happened and said, let's make sure you're 100%. Let's make sure you're good away. Let's make sure you don't get one of those um, overcompensating in another area of your body injuries that can sometimes happen when you try to come back to the floor. So the fact that Kyrie is allowing this to happen with less support it also makes it more impressive because you can see it happening when you know, oh, I've got Gordon and I've got Al, and if we have to come in and take over the game, it'll work. But that's not the case. But good on Al for being aggressive, Al, because I think that did also take the pressure off Kyrie. He's he's kicking out to Semi you know, Ojale. He's kicking out to you know Marcus Morris. He's kicking out to you know Jason Tatum, who you know is not is just has just now crossed double digits in NBA games played. Um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. That, that is much more impressive. Uh, and that's, that's just, I think he's got to get more respect for what he's doing here. I mean, I just, maybe it's one of those season ending type things where, you know, you get to the end of the regular season, people's like, wow, look, look at what happened. This, we were, we had this guy pegged wrong. You know, he was a chucker. He's not a chucker. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm impressed with that, but I'm, I'm probably not, I'm, I'm much more optimistic about Hayward's return than, than you are. Um, I actually. So you stayed there. You stayed yeah. in that space yeah. and you still think that he's just doing that to not set expectations that can't be met. Instead, putting himself in a position to meet or exceed the expectations that might be placed on him based on the injury. He, I, I think that, okay, I, the, just after the press conference that occurred on, I think it was Friday, uh, he had, he retweeted, um, a snippet of the, of the, um, press conference. Now I'm not saying that this means, it, that it means more than anything else he said in that or, or in what he had written himself. Uh, and if that was ghostwritten, you know, he found a good ghostwriter, but if he wrote it himself, I, Kudos to him because it was well thought out and and uh, I thought very uh, well well written um, for for an, <laughs> a professional athlete. So good on him for that. But um, it, you know, it just talked about how the recovery is about every day. You know, it's about his. It's you know focusing on the here and now and 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 winning that day, not focusing so far ahead. And that just to me says that the messaging that the team, he, his agent, everyone's trying to send is like, look, we're not, we're not anticipating anything. The future is so far away. We're focused on the here and now. And so now we got Danny Ainge tweeting out pictures of, of Gordon in a chair, uh, shooting at health point, you know, and I just feel like, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe he's just going to go away, but just that seems, the opposite of who Gordon Hayward has been as a player. It seems like he does whatever he needs to do to, to get ahead, to get that edge. And I don't feel like he's going to step away from a season like this that means so much in so many ways to him personally that if there's a chance that he can put 
six games in before the regular season ends, or he can come back before the playoffs. I don't see him letting that go. You're right. If there's a chance of, you know, he's put too much stress on his body and, you know, the, the new, you know, sports science people are like, it's not worth it. Then yeah, I think they will shut it down, but I think they're going to make that call then. I think they're just trying to say, let's not put expectations on him. Let's let him fight through every day. Let him get those small victories, you know, win the day. And then if we've, you know, put together 180 of those days that are good and his overall prognosis is good, then we say, hey, we're going to try to make this happen. You know what I mean? I don't think it's a, I think they're just trying to like kind of kick the can down the road a little bit as opposed to, you know, kind of putting a, yeah, not a put the expectations on him so that yeah. he starts to try to push too hard. They, there is a big part of recovering. I mean, you do have to push to recover from injury. At the same time, you also need to rest. That's a delicate balance for anybody who's ever had health ailments of any kind because it's very similar. If your body's not 100%, you have to balance pushing it to get there with making sure that you rest enough and you don't kill yourself literally on the way. And and so <laughs> – Literally. <laughs> literally. But, I, you know, I, I think the music to my ears with all of that was full recovery. And everybody feels like he'll get back to 100%. That's, that's the thing that matters right now to, to Gordon Hayward, to his yep. family, to his teammates. And I gotta say, they must have been motivated to some degree by that. The mortality, the don't take every moment for granted has got to have seeped into that culture too, making it easier for people to buy in quickly. We do have to talk about Marcus Morris. For the fact that, you know, now he's healthy and we've seen him for a couple of games and he's rusty. We do have to go back to the bench unit conversation. And I also want to talk about the scheduling because uh, CLNS media founder Nick Gelso made a comment on the CLNS postgame show with Bobby Manning and uh, after the Orlando game about somebody like Tatum eventually hitting the rookie wall and getting the rookie legs. And I want to make sure we cover that. But before we do hit those topics, make sure you follow Celtics Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. The entire CLNS Media Network at CLNS Media. Visit the Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS Fans. And download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace, and it'll pop right up. And the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media, for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with Nick Gelso himself, among others, Jimmy Toscano, Josue Pavone, and Trags. So, look, John, let's go back to the bench. If you're ready. I'm not sure if you're ready, but if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's go back to the bench. How the heck, again, are we getting bench production from a team that has had a difficult time with bench production and had to look to Evan Turner to provide it, Mr. Mid-Range Shot himself, wacky wild stuff, a little bit of a – Johnny Carson style play out there. Is this wacky? Is is this weird? Yeah, no, you're right. That's it. It is. How is it happening? It is some weird, wild, wacky stuff. I I think that it's happening because um, we've got a couple guys who have made a leap. 
I think it's because we're inserting one or two players who are who are able to complement each other well. Um, I, I think okay, let's start with Smart and Rozier. I think Smart and Rozier are are the guys who are making the second unit work. The playmaking of Smart, his size, defensive ability. I think he's keying a defensive effort with that second unit. There's really tough to stop. And and whether it's Tice or especially with Bain's insertion, uh, particularly in that in that fourth quarter uh, or end of the third, beginning of fourth run uh, with Bain's, that was a really tough unit to score on. So you get that in there, and and Rozier's additional ability to to score and create. Uh, and then you're pairing them with now some, uh, some wings who can shoot in, in, in Ojale, uh, and, and Tatum. That's, that's a lot more effort, uh, a lot more, I should say, production that you're, that you're seeing than, you know, as you said, I mean, Smart wasn't ready for that role. Rosier, Lord, he wasn't ready for that role until May of last year. Uh, so I think it's, it's just kind of the alchemy of it that putting those pieces together is really, I think, where it's come about. And, Brad's hit on it. You know, I think defense is keying them a lot, but it's it's remarkable. And it seems like every time every lever he's pulling, it's working. You know, you get Ojale in there. Okay, now we got you're gonna put throw Marcus Morris in there a little bit. Okay, that's working. Tice was in, now he was a little bit less against uh you know the magic, so a little bit more Ojale. You know, it's we'll go with a little bit more Larkin. I mean <laughs> It, it, he's just, it's checkers and chess, man. And he's, he's really doing some amazing stuff as a, as a, as an NBA, as an NBA coach. Uh, it's, it's a marvel to watch night after night. It's no surprise that his, uh, now I don't want to say his mentor, but his idol, his basketball idol is Popovich, right? They're basic. He's, he's all about sustainability, doing the same thing, working a system, unselfish stars like Tim Duncan, who really probably the most unselfish star in the history of the NBA, honestly. And so he's building that kind of culture from the ground up and everybody's buying in. And I think it's pretty incredible that, you know, that whole story about him essentially asserting himself into the group of people that were going to carry Gordon Hayward onto the plane home is really just a mark of what level of leadership he wishes to have, not only with his people, you know, in on the team, but probably the kind of man he is around, you know, his life and the people that are in his circle. And I think that probably shines through with the guys. He's sincere, genuine, and smart as a whip. And those three things are a great combination to get people to buy in. You can be really smart, but not very sincere and maybe somewhat arrogant, and you're going nowhere. So that combination has served him well. He's also obviously very humble. Now, he's not been very happy with the team's play on offense, that's for sure. And he also will go ahead right out there, put it out there, hey, I'm not really happy. We're leaving a lot of points out there. But that's kind of his job to have the end game. So let's flip that around, too. He's done masterful things with that second unit. But do you feel like he – he obviously has to be that way. But are you disappointed at all with the way that the offense is functioning, given that only four players are coming back from last year's team? Isn't it a reasonable situation, what we're watching? And also, 
the right thing to do as a coach, being Brad Stevens, to criticize and make sure that those guys know that, yes, you have the best record in the NBA. Yes, you just rattled off eight wins. Yes, everybody wants to say this stat that really doesn't make any sense to me, Justin, pulling the 0-2, only team in history to go 0-2 and win the next eight straight. That's just the weirdest statistic to me, John. But despite all that, isn't it Brad's job to make sure that these guys know that it's an 82-game season, there's 72 left, there's a lot of work to be done, and keep them humble by saying you're leaving a lot of points on the floor? Yeah, well, I think... I think he's looking at the numbers and, you know, I think in particular fast break. I mean, the amount of points that they're not converting on that end, particularly in the, in the, on the, in transition, it, it's, it's, it's starting to really become aggravating. You know, ultimately they're, they're able to, to succeed, but when they're playing against high scoring teams, you know, particularly they go up against the Houston's, the Golden States. Um, they're not going to be able to keep pace if they keep giving away points like that in transition. We saw a couple instances against the Magic where you know Smart gets the the breakaway and he can't get the layup down. You know, or uh, you know they've got like a three on two situation and Rozier has to pull it out. And by that, by the time they kind of re, you know, kind of gather themselves, everyone's returned. I mean, they've got to get much better in transition. And I think they can, but it's going to take, um, I thought that they, with their athleticism, they'd be able to be much more productive on that end. But so far, it hasn't been as, as successful as I had hoped. Defense first though, right? Defense first, always. That's the building block. That you have to start from at the beginning of a season, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, but that's, but that's the thing. Like, it's got to create points on the other end. Like, that's, that's when their defense is really, you know, effective. And yeah, it, and so if your defense to lead to offense, you got to convert, you know, and they had opportunities. They've had opportunities a lot this season. And like I said, if at Would the end Jaylen of the day Brown, they can't convert that, it's a problem. Would Jalen Brown be the poster child in your mind for that? I mean, and I love Here, it. believe me, you know it, right? El yeah, he and Marcus are kind of the same freakishly athletic bulldog mentality type, awesome defenders. But then when it comes time to converting that defensive stop slash steal, I mean, Marcus had one in the Orlando game and just basically bully. I can't remember the two players. I think Fournier might have been one, but basically bullies two players, gets out ahead of the defense after a steal, and tries to finish with a left and doesn't even come close. And we've seen Jalen get out on the break and just not really know exactly what his move to the rim is going to look like. I mean, he's awesome when he's cutting. And and sometimes in an ISO situation, he winds up looking pretty polished. He's great on rebounding and cleanup. But in transition, without just full-on three-on-two type stuff, there are moments where it just doesn't seem – he has the body control. It just doesn't seem like he knows what he wants to control his body in doing. <laughs> it's almost – I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that this is exactly what it is, but it, it does seem as though um, – he is, does he, does he not know how to use this new sleek and lean body? You know, I don't know. So it's something to, something to consider, I think, for sure. Um, yeah. Mm. I, I don't know if that's it, but 
it feels like there's something that's uh I don't know if it's a miss, but something isn't clicking for him. I mean, he's he's never been a natural finisher in that way in Boston. You know, he looked a lot better in the college game, but he's always had that kind of second guessing of himself. Uh and I think in the in the shot he missed tonight, he was thinking about Biombo who was ten feet behind him. Uh, instead of worrying about just getting the ball off the off the glass, he should just go it. strong and and know that it's okay to live at the free throw line for a while, mm-hmm. and and to take that contact and make sure that the other person feels it. Marcus more than Jalen Brown is going to get away with that. Jalen might get tossed around a little bit by trying to generate too much contact. I mean, I know he's muscular and you know he's got that NBA ready body that Danny talked about so much after they selected him. But he could still go flying. Marcus is literally, you know, a brick deep house, right? I mean, 100%. Yes, Yes, absolutely. I think anybody who tries to get into his body is going to pay, which reminds me of last Friday at my uh, little pickup basketball game locally when I got a little excited and totally clobbered somebody who had beat me baseline. And – when you land on somebody, it hurts. And I'm just going to say, Marcus Smart, if you go up strong, I don't care if it's Biombo, if you go up strong to the point where they have to follow you, they're they're going to regret it. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're gonna finish. I'm, I just watch it and I'm regretting it for them. And, I, you know, I'm not even party to it. I mean, yeah, I mean, no question about it. How, how anyone could want to go up there and – and bang, I I cannot understand. The dude is <laughs> he's a brick wall. He's got combat muscles. I mean, come on, right? Combat <laughs> muscles. I heard somebody else say that about Semi Ojale today. Oh yeah, Semi. oh yeah. They're they're part of the of the combat muscles army. There you go. All right. So real quick, let's talk about the rookie legs thing real quick. Because Nick mentioned this on the CLNS post game Celtics post game show. Like I said, after the game against Orlando last night. And kind of mentioned this this idea that Jason Tatum would at some point, like all Rick rookies, hit this wall, the rookie legs. But I'm, I'm going to put something out there, and I think we did lightly touch on it several shows back as we were entering into the season. But we haven't had a back-to-back yet. And there really aren't that many of them on the schedule. I think if the rookie legs do appear, it'll be when they play their first game uh, overseas against Philly in January. But outside of that, you know, with a little bit of jet laggy kind of stuff, I just don't think the schedule is rigorous enough for the rookies, for us to really be concerned about rookies hitting said rookie wall with their legs or whatnot. And, and I also think that Tatum plays the game so smartly that and such such a pro and I think Scal said it during the broadcast against Orlando about, you know, I'm not sure he's ever seen a rookie just let the game come to them the way that Tatum does in so many multifaceted ways, so that he's so diverse in where he gets his offense and where he finds his opportunities on defense. And I agree with all of that. He really is a very intellectual pro at the age of 19. It's pretty amazing. Do you think there'll be any – I mean, I'm sure he's going to have shooting slumps at some point. I know he's shooting above 50% from beyond the arc. So if that's what we can expect through 10 games for the rest of the season, yeah, that's going to take a dip at some point. But do you think he's really going to hit, like, a wall 
or do you think he'll come back to earth in some of those areas of his statistics? I think that he is going to be, um, I think he's going to hit a wall at some point. I think he's going to, there's going to be a come a point where he's going to probably regress as a player. And I think that's natural. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, what he, what he's doing right now, I mean, is, is really somewhat unprecedented for a player in his position. Playing on a contending team, <laughs> 19 years old, the production he's putting up, uh, it, it's really, he's in a bit of a no man's land of, of people we can look back and say, well, so and so did this and so and so did that. There isn't a comp, I don't think. Um, one thing I would say that Hold on. What do you think will be the cause of that slump? You defense. literally just think fatigue. All right. So you think it'll show up on the defensive end? I think it'll show up on the defensive end. I think eventually the, the night after night of once you get 40 games in, uh, you know, the pounding, the, you know, he's not strong. I mean, he's, he's lean. He's got lean muscle. He's, you know, he's doing fine, but there's going to come a wearing down. You know, these guys are, are peak physical athletes. And by the time they get to March and April, they're run down. They're not the same spry selves. You know, they, there's a reason why they are doing everything they can in the off season to be in tip top physical shape. Jason Tatum hasn't had that opportunity. So what, you know, there's going to come a point where he's going to have to go through something to get to that next level as a player. And, I'm sure, I think he's got the, the right motivations and, and whatnot for it, but I think it will happen. I just think 10 games in is a little too early, you know, to, to worry about it. I think we, let's see some signs things are slowing. Uh, there's a chance he doesn't go through it. So, but I think it, I don't think that there's anything discouraging or wrong about it. So it's probably the, the bigger takeaway. I wonder how much, so this is a great transition to Marcus Morris coming back and getting a couple of games under his belt. But I wonder also how much they'll look to manage his minutes if they see that setting in, just to lower him a little bit on a couple of nights in a row, and then it might actually be seamless. It would be hard to imagine this team not preparing for a situation like that. And, again, I know depth is somewhat of a concern, but Marcus Smart has been out. Marcus Morris was out. They still rattled up wins with this team, and now that depth is coming in there. I think Daniel Tice is probably providing a lot more minutes than a lot of people anticipated. I know some of it's by virtue of necessity at the position and lacking depth at center, but I think a lot of people could have also said what we saw at the start of the fourth quarter would be very common uh, when I should, well, I say the fourth, start of the fourth quarter, I mean the start of the fourth quarter against Orlando, those three guard lineups. Isn't that what we all expected to see a lot more of? I think in that case it was Smart, Rozier, and Larkin. But that is something that I felt like we would just see smaller and smaller lineups. So even Tice has gotten more minutes. But when you bring somebody like Marcus Morris back, he can play the three. If Jason was getting a little ragged running down or they felt like he was about to hit that wall, it would be very easy for them to take his minute numbers down and just go ahead and utilize Morris. Do you think they would use that kind of a strategy and plan for it ahead of time somewhat? Because hmm. the guy's got to get more minutes, right? So he started yeah. the second half against OKC, and – 
you know, that kind of launched him. But he looks ugly right now. He definitely needs a little bit of time to bring his polish back. Well, I thought I thought he looked quite a bit better tonight uh, than he did probably in that first. I mean, I think he's looked better every every minute he's been out there. He's looked better and better. Uh, you know, the, the finish he had tonight where he kind of got up in the air and he, you know, he hit some shots. I just think it's going to take time to kind of integrate him. If you're, he is kind of the natural kind of slide in for Tatum. I mean, it's it's quite obvious that you know they, the the skill sets right now are pretty similar. Uh, it's kind of interesting. You we got Danger Card already out there on Twitter saying, you know, maybe they should be looking to trade Morris now, and you're know, kind of maximizing the value and using him where there's a greater need. You know, basically, you know, there's not so many wings. You know, that, that but are isn't the real essential component of that the trade player exception? Isn't that really what he wants? Is a little well, flexibility with the money. I, I mean, think, I, I, yeah. I think that's true. You know, help him where you need it. And, and, but also to get a pick too, I think it's, you know, but you're right. It's, it's taking a player that you really at a position of strength, I suppose, um, where the team is, all these wings right now, and you're playing some three guard lineups in the second unit. And then, you know, parlaying that into something that you need elsewhere. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense for the Celtics, you know, going into it. Um, it certainly it makes on sense what they to give up a first round season. pick for, uh, you know, Jilly Lolkerfer at this point. Yeah. That, <laughs> so I it think, depends I think, on what they want to do this season. If they really feel like they can make some noise, I mean, imagine this team without Hayward getting to the finals. That would be insane. But, you know, if they feel like they could, I don't think you dump off somebody like Morris when you know you're going to need some veteran presence. It really depends on the organization's goals for this season, not in so much next season. Because he's got an affordable contract. He's the new Jay Crowder, right? If you really think about it, just contractually, he's two years of him is very similar. You feel like you're getting a little bit of a bargain on a player. So, you know, that part is nice. And there's that whole cost control component that I think is important to this club too. So, and they still have to figure out a way to sign Marcus Smart next year if Marcus keeps performing. So they might prefer to have a player like that hang around. I know what you're saying, and I understand Danger Cart's point as well is, well, you know, maybe basically sell high. Right. This would definitely, with a couple of years left, it would definitely be a sell high moment. Do you think the Lake, to your point about that pick and you threw out Okafor and we've got about seven minutes left in the show. So I want to segue to that component since it's come up or that piece of the discussion since it's obviously been a hot topic the last week. But do you think that Lakers pick is going to land in what is it? Two through six where we need it to be for, for the Celtics to pick that up this year? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I do. I do. I think that right now with where things are looking, um, I mean, look, if you're, if you're talking about highlights, you're talking about who likes who and, and what's happening. Yeah. You're, you're probably pretty high on where the Lakers are right now. Um, you know, they're four and five, but I really don't think they've looked all that good in the process. Um, and they're going to continue to try to shed salary. Um, you know, again, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There's some really bad teams out there. I mean, Dallas is one in 10. Sacramento's one in eight. You know, uh, we certainly know in the, in the Eastern Conference, we're going to see a bad team in Atlanta this week. Bulls haven't been good, but 
there's just not a lot there. And I feel like once the West kind of finds its level, I mean, I think a lot of the teams in the West haven't really taken off like we thought they would. I mean, for crying out loud, the Warriors are still, you know, seven and three. So I think that that's going to, with this, you know, between that and Spurs six and four, I think that you're going to see the Lakers, they're going to fall back in the pack quite a bit as we get closer and closer. So, you know, are they going to be the worst team? No, but I think they're going to be in that, that we don't want them to be the worst team. Exactly. We want them to be. We want them to be the next worst team. Exactly. Or they could be the fifth worst as long as they get the lottery pick for the second. We're yeah, cool with go. that too. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, and this year, I mean, this is another stocked draft year. Could you imagine them selecting, say, a center? who is able to contribute alongside of Al Horford next year. And then they have like a Baines and a Tice coming off the bench. This could get sick really fast for the Celtics. Plus bring Hayward back and maybe they put a lot of fight in the postseason with the roster as constructed as we see it today. That would be pretty incredible. I mean, mean, honestly. You got five players in the top, in in this next draft that uh, have some, some really Interesting potential. They got two centers, Bomba, Aiden, Marvin Bagley, the Duke guy, you know, Michael Porter, the kind of, you know, KD light, uh, player. And then of course, Donkic there, uh, at Real Madrid. I mean, you get, you get five guys there who could all help join this rotation next year. And, you know, if you see Tatum and Brown doing what they're doing right now, I mean, why couldn't this, this, this guy who joins up be a starter, you know, replace some significant minutes? Remember, Baines is only signed on a one-year contract. So they've got Tice for an extra year at minimum salary, but there's a fair chance Baines is not going to be here uh, for the 2019 season. So this person could very well be the part-time starter and or full-time backup uh, for Al Horford at the center position. So this is, <laughs> it's crazy to say, but this, this could become a rotation player if this Lakers pick conveys here this year. Uh, it's, right. it's crazy times. In two minutes or less, do you want Okafor? Do you have any interest yes. in him joining the club? And only on a buyout or would you trade? I know you're not going to trade the Lakers pick, pick and neither no. would I. But number a future one. lower – all right, so low number one is where you come in on value no, right there. No, number one. I wouldn't give no up. No number. number one. I think I if, they'd gotten, if they'd gotten a number one by now, they, the deal would have been done. I think they're, they're – it's all second rounders. And I think the Celtics, I think they just wait until there's a buyout because there's, there's really no deal to be had. They can't find a matching salary. So they're going to have to wait for the and buyout. And they've got the injured player exception of $8 million or whatever that right. would probably make over for happy – Right now, most other teams kind of situated and them being so competitive for the postseason for him to maybe put his talents out there on a national stage, $8 million for him is a great steal to be on a winning club. I mean, he could totally be the next Evan Turner at a different position. Yeah, the problem is, is they don't have the time to experiment with him. He, he needs a lot of time in the lab. I'm not sure that he's going to be the type of player that they could turn into something this season. He really has to be the Baines in waiting, I think. And and that's asking a lot of him. So you're going to have to – if they trade for him, it's a one-year deal, and so they're going to have to resign him some way without bird rights. It just – it's really challenged to see them other making a deal other than you know something where you you try to make something 
you know, go the rest of the year, make him happiest you can, uh, with really no guarantees that he'd resign. You know, it's, it's a tough, yeah, I'm not really thinking he resigns. I'm thinking he provides a little bit of a punch. He gets it together. He's a, he's a second unit kind of player for rebounding back to the basket offense here and there. Somebody they can feed into the post and then next off season, he shows enough in Boston in the system that puts him in the most positive light. And then he signs a contract elsewhere. I really don't, I, I, I don't see him coming back. I almost see it like they'd have to forfeit re-signing Marcus Smart to keep him. And even then, I guess it depends on how much money his value has dropped off enough that it's hard to imagine him getting more than 12 or 13 million in his next contract at this point. But he also could sign one of those three year deals to try to create opportunity. However, that's going to do it for this week's show. John and I will be back next week. The broadcast is going to be available on demand on the CLNS media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in this week. And remember that you can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. For staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.